sometimes we're faced with choices where we don't really know what, what to do or where to turn, but I can assure you today that the best choice that you could make is to trust in Jesus and put your faith in him. Thank you, Jacoby, for singing that song. Pastor Greg is not with us here today. He, uh, he called me and asked me if I would fill in, and I was happy to do that. Uh, his daughter, Aaliyah, was not feeling well, and um, he said, these are his words, that, you know, this is, if you're not feeling well, we're, we're advising people to, uh, to stay at home, so he's, he's practicing what he preaches, so to speak, so um, he misses you guys, and he wishes to be here, um, and he's asked me to close out this series that we've been doing on the seven churches in Revelation. And the, the title of the series is Conversion Culture, Conversion Culture. But before we get into that, I do want to make mention of a couple uh, quick things, uh, opportunities, really, that I think that we would be foolish not to, to take advantage of. Uh, these are opportunities to go deeper into God's Word, deeper into a relationship with him and into discipleship with him. Uh, for the next six weeks, we have, or for the past uh, three weeks and through the remainder of that six weeks, we're offering life groups. This is an opportunity for you to come together into a small group and to dive deeper into the word of God. Uh, the topic is usually on the previous Sunday's sermon and uh, just uh, three that I will mention on Thursdays, Pastor Allison and Sister Allison have been leading a group on Thursday mornings at 9 o'clock, and that's going really well. Uh, Pam and Daryl, Pastor uh, Daryl, they've been leading a group on Wednesdays at, at 7 p.m., and that's for the young adult age group. And uh, the, the Thursday group is, is for all adults. It's for anybody. Um, I think there's a lot of senior citizens that are coming, but, you know, if you want to come, if Thursdays at 9 work for you, that's great. And then there's also a parents group uh, that's been going really well Sundays at 6 p.m. And I look forward, to, I'm in this group, and I really look forward to doing life and talking about life with these fine folks and diving deeper into God's Word. Um, thank you for joining us online. Thank you for being here today. Um, it's an honor and a privilege for me to stand in this pulpit and to fill this position, and I do not take it lightly. Um, so today we're going to continue this, uh, this topic on conversion culture. Conversion culture is what? It is the pursuit of Christ to change our lives. Somebody say, change our lives. Somebody say, change our homes. Change our churches. Change our society. Wow, you guys are great at that. Thank you for participating. Pastor Greg, uh, like I said, asked me to wrap this up, and we were talking about this just this past week, and I said, Pastor Greg, you got a tough topic coming up, man. I mean, this is a topic, it's, it's hitting on some pretty hard stuff, and, and we were kind of joking around about that. And then yesterday, he calls me and, uh, and asked me to talk about this tough topic. So I hope you wore your steel-toed boots and your helmets and, and, uh, and your football pads, just be ready. Uh, I'm only kidding, but this is, a, this is a very convicting topic. It was a very convicting topic for me, and, and, and I hope that we can walk away today and evaluate our hearts and apply this word to our life. We're talking about these seven churches. This is the last letter to these seven churches. 
from Jesus to John, who was on the island of Patmos. And he was there because he faced great opposition from the Romans. Uh, he believed that he believed the truth that there was one God. Somebody say one God. He believed the truth that there was one God. And they believed that there were many gods. And so he, there he was in prison, and he re- received this revelation from Jesus to, and, and to be written to the people. Uh, revelation, not revelations, by the way, revelation, is basically a prophecy or a message, message of truth, and it was a message of challenge and hope. This was received by a man named John, like I said, and, and it was his job to deliver this message of hope and challenge to the people. And today we're going to look at this. Um, notice as we read in Revelations 3 and 14, and you can turn in your Bibles if you have your Bibles with us this morning, how Jesus calls them out on some things, but then he turns around and he offers a prescription for their condition. He offers hope. He gives them a challenge and he offers hope. Let's read together. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning, Revelations chapter 3, verse 14. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. My goodness, he is calling them out right here. Verse 18, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to these churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray today that you would use me and you would speak through me, Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, but Lord, that they would be your words. And Lord, I pray that you would grip our hearts to turn to you and apply this word to our life today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're in Laodicea. Has anybody heard of Laodicea? If you've read your Bible, you've probably heard of this. It's, it's located in Asia Minor and, and amongst all of these different places that, that these letters have been written to. And, and Laodicea was known for a few things. And matter of fact, it was a fantastic place to live. It was planted amongst the major trade routes and had a booming economy. I mean, it just had a great economy. It was a great place to live. In fact, they were the banking center of that region. 
There were shops, there were markets, uh, and anything that you would ever need to live was there. You were probably well off if you lived in Laodicea. If Laodicea were a modern town, there would be a Target. There'd be a Walmart. There'd be a Whole You'd probably shop at Whole Foods and not Kroger, not Food Line. You'd shop at Trader Joe's and, and go to, to the organic ice cream shop. Maybe uh, there, there was a couple malls, and, 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 and there were the hottest places to shop. There were car dealerships and, and banks, restaurants, and a Chick-fil-A on every block. Can I get an amen? This place was hopping. I'm just trying to put it into modern-day terms for you. This was the place to be. In, in, in 17 AD, there was a devastating earthquake that really shook that place. And Rome decided that, that they were going to help them rebuild. They were going to give them the resources and the manpower to, to rebuild this town. But Laodicea turned it down. They turned it down. And they said, you know what? We've got enough resources and manpower. We're self-sufficient. And they rebuilt that town themselves. That's the type of people that they were. They were self-sufficient. Another thing that they were known for was their textile industry, and specifically the black wool woven garments that were so beautiful, and they were known for that area. This was a huge source of their economy and their income. They sold these black wool woven shiny garments. Now, I can't imagine wearing something like that today. It just sounds like it would be itchy and, uh, and hot. But they were known for that, and I'm sure they would love to have one of those garments. Something else that they were known for was an eye salve that people would travel far distances. They've created this eye salve that was, that was there to, to uh, help treat all sorts of eye problems. And people came to this medical center and this place to get this eye salve. They were innovative. They were well off. And if you were a Christian in Laodicea, you probably were not in need of anything. But they had a problem. They had a big problem. They had bad water. Laodicea had a big problem. They had no good water source. They were planted there in the middle of this trade route, of all these trade routes, and they were booming. It was a place to be, but they had a terrible water source. But being the innovative, self-sufficient, creative people that they were, they created this water channel out of clay pipes. As you can see here in the picture, they created this channel and they, they funneled their water in from miles away. And by the time the water got to their town in the, the hot region of Asia Minor, the water was no longer cold, but it was lukewarm. It was lukewarm. Not only was it lukewarm, but it was, it was infested with minerals, calcium, and, and I, I don't know what all minerals, probably sulfur. If, I don't know if you've ever smelt sulfur in water, but it smells awful. It smells like eggs. This water had a stench, and it tasted bad. But if you lived there, this was your water source. You used lukewarm, stinky water to cook your food, to bathe in, to boil your, boil your cup of coffee, make your pot of tea, 
I mean, they, they got used to it. But if you were a visitor to this place and you took a drink of their water, it would probably make you spew. Now we're starting to have an understanding, aren't we? Starting to have an understanding of what Jesus was talking about. All right, let's look at their neighboring town of Colossae. Colossae had a great water source. In fact, the water came from the cool mountain springs and the snow melt that came that trickled down those, those little creeks, and it was cold and refreshing. And then in modern times, they would probably bottle that up and sell it as fresh uh, mountain water. It tasted wonderful. In fact, I looked it up on a website. They do sell this water. You can buy you a bottle of this uh, fresh mountain water for $3 a bottle. $3 a bottle. And they'll ship it right to your house. Um, I wouldn't suggest that you do that because it would probably be infested with BPA and might be lukewarm by the time it gets there. If I had a pitcher of that cold water, ice water this morning, I would mix it up and make some lemonade and pass it to all of you uh, this morning, and we would just have a refreshing drink together. The other neighboring town, Hierapolis, they were known for their water source. They had marvelous hot springs. These are the springs right here. And they were just wonderful. They were hot springs. And in fact, in the second century, physicians called on and they started sending people to these hot springs for therapy. They were healing hot springs. They had a great water source. But Laodicea was stuck with the lukewarm, nasty water that smelt bad and tasted bad. So now we understand what Jesus is talking about more clearly. You see, he wasn't just saying, uh, uh, I wish that you were, were not lukewarm, hot, or cold. He was talking about something much more deeper, something that they could understand, something that really hit home. He was speaking their language. He was speaking on their terms. He wasn't just saying, you know, I've been, I've been taught this in Sunday school, and I'm sure some of you probably have too. It's all or nothing. It's hot or cold. And Jesus would much rather you be on fire than, than, than to be lukewarm. He'd much rather you be cold and away from the Lord. No. You see, 2 Peter 3 and 9 says that the Lord is patient with us. And he's, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The Lord doesn't wish that you would be out, out in sin and, and, and living in the world. He doesn't wish that. He doesn't wish that you would perish and, and, and go to hell. He doesn't wish that. No, he wants us all to repent. He wants us all to come and, and to have that relationship. He wants all of us to come and to sit and dine with him at that table. Now, I, I can get down with what they were saying about being on fire. And, and I get that. I've probably even said that. I've probably even preached that before. I don't know. But the more that you research God's word in the context of what it says, the more you understand. Is that all right this morning? The more you understand. So, the Lord is patient with us. And he, he was patient with them. He, he was calling them out on some things, but he was speaking their language but he explains exactly what he meant in the very next verse. Let's read it together again in context. Revelations 3 and 15. I know all the things you do. 
that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. All right, they're starting to pick up what he's putting down right here. They understand these terms. Verse 16, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Basically, he was saying, the way you're acting, the way you're living, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's, dis- it's disgraceful. And then he explains what he means right here, verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor, blind, and naked. Man, these are fighting words. He was calling them out. But there's three things that I want to point out that Christ is for us, that Christ does for us. And the first thing is that Christ knows. Christ knows. In verse 14, it reminds us of who Jesus is. Jesus was speaking as a reliable witness who saw the people for who they truly were. Christ knows. It says the amen. In other words, he is the promised oath of truth, the faithful and true witness. Christ is the only 100% reliable witness who knows all and sees all. We don't fool God. He discerns all the beginning of creation of God. He was with God in eternity past and has record of all things in history. You see, Christ's character is, is, has such a contrast of who we are and who this church, were, this church was. They were a lukewarm church who stood for nothing but themselves. Jesus was saying, I know your works. I know who you are. I see the things that you do. You're self-centered. I'm not talking to you guys. You're self-centered and spoiled, and you think you're self-made. You're relying on your own riches and leaving God out of the picture. You think because you are wealthy and that you don't need anything, you got it all together, but you're wrong. You're wrong. It's nauseating because you're blind to this. You don't even see it. You're like the water that you drink, and I think when everybody heard that, it was probably like, ooh. You're like the water that you drank. That was a low blow. They knew what that meant. You are ignorant to your true state. They didn't even know it. You see, if you lived there and you drank that water, you got used to it. You didn't taste the stench. You didn't smell the stench. It's what you were used to. That's what you knew. They were ignorant to their own state, their own true state. And he says this, and it makes me want to spew you out. Whoa. I mean, these are some low blows. These are some heavy words. In modern times, I would imagine he would say something like, you don't want God. You want a new car. You don't, you don't clothe yourself in, in righteousness. You want to clothe yourself in the latest fashions and the latest Nikes and the latest shoes. You don't, you don't want God. You just want a bigger house and a, and a 401k. Woo. I'm not talking to you guys, of course. But then Jesus continues to use analogies that they could understand. And he goes on to give them a prescription for their condition that they were in. A prescription that required complete change of attitude from self-reliance to dependence on God. You see, Christ's prescription will result in a complete contrast from your current state. What is that? What did he mention? He said, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, 
and naked. If you're wretched, you're a miserable person. You're worthless. You're stuck in vice. If you're miserable, you're unhappy or or uncomfortable and smaller and inadequate. If you're poor, you're lacking sufficient resources to live at a standard uh, that is considered normal. If you're blind, uh, you're unable to see either because of... uh, 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 because of the way you were born or, or because of an injury or, or disease. And, and then he says, naked. And this is talking about their shame. Undisguised truth. The next thing that Jesus does, see, Christ knows. He knows who we are, but Christ also keeps. And second, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1 and 8 says, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from blame on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. He gives them a prescription. Uh, I'm going to name three things right here. He gives them a prescription for pride because they were a prideful people. They were, they were, they were proud that they were self-sufficient. No, we don't need your help. We can do things on our own. We don't need God. We've got all of these things. We've got all these blessings. We can just leave God out of the picture. But he says this, buy gold from me, purified by fire. You see, material, materially, they had everything that they wanted. But he was saying, you need to have spiritual riches and, and faith in Jesus Christ, to faith in Jesus Christ. Spiritual wealth is true and pure and is refined by God. He gives them a prescription for their shame, for their nakedness. He says, buy white garments from me. You see, the black wool garments were a huge source of their income, and some would even say that he used this contrast to to show what state that they were in, that they were black as the wool that they were selling. They were corrupt and, and, and black as the wool that they were selling. But he says, you can buy pure white garments from me that will cover up your nakedness and your shame. You see, God does not want to call you out and to shame you in front of everybody. That's what Christ does. Christ covers that up. He covers up our shame. You don't have to be ashamed of, of who you were, of who you are. Christ covers that up. And he, he gives us new garments that are pure. We can clothe ourselves with righteousness. We can clothe ourselves with his ways. And the next thing, for their blind state, he uses another analogy that they could understand. He says, buy ointment for your eyes. They understood this because they created this ointment. They knew what it, they knew what it meant. The ways of God are like ointment for your eyes. God's ways are eye-opening. You see, when you dive into God's word and you read God's word and you learn about God's word, it opens up your eyes to your true state. The Bible says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword cutting uh, between soul and spirit, uh, dividing between joint and marrow. You see, it cuts down and it reveals things in our life that we are unaware of, that we just can't see. This is ointment. For your eyes. You see, we have a keeping power that that doesn't come from us. It comes from Christ. It doesn't come from the resources around us. It comes from Christ. You see, Christ, he's like like the guy that, that knows things. 
and that's been there, and he's done that, and he's protecting us, and he's keeping us. Do you know somebody that you call from time to time and, and to save you a little bit of headache, a little bit of trouble, a little bit of time? Maybe it's with a, a computer, and you know somebody that's tech savvy, so you just give them a, give them a call, and they can save you from a, they can protect you from a little bit of a headache. Do you know somebody that, that's skilled in a certain way and you can give them a call and, and they can save you just a little bit of trouble? You see, that's who God is. He's fighting for us. He's defending us and he's protecting us so that we're not shamed, so that we're not blind, so that we're not naked. And he covers it up and he's fighting for us. He's defending us. Christ cares enough. If you read on in Revelations 3, 19 and 3, uh, 22, it talks about this. That Christ cares for us enough to pursue us. Here he is at the door, and he's knocking. He's knocking. He keeps on knocking. But you see, if we're, if we're blind, if, 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 if we're not listening, and if we're too busy, and we're too caught up in, in our life, and our riches, and what we want, and being self-sufficient, uh, we don't hear that knock. We don't hear that knock. Sometimes we don't, we don't hear that knock or sometimes we ignore that knock because we don't have room in the house. We don't have room. But you see, he loves us. And, and he desperately, he desperately loves us. And we desperately need his love. And the praise team's coming up. He stands at the door and he knocks. This is talking about his pursuit for us. He's knocking. God is calling. He is calling for you. He is pursuing you. And he invites us to dine with him. He wants to sit at your table. He wants to build a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to enter into your life. And he saves a seat for us with him on his throne. This speaks of the victory. You can be victorious. Verse 22, he says, he, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, they lost their zeal. They lost their passion. They lost their love for Christ, and they didn't even know. They became self-sufficient and caught up in, in their world and in their riches and they lost their passion. They made it about something else. And without trying too hard to step on anybody's toes this morning and call anybody out, because I think that's, that's, that's the, the word of God speaking right here, I want to ask you a few questions. Have you lost your passion for Christ? Have you lost your zeal? Have you made it about something else? In today's world, it could be about politics, civil rights. It could be about a vote, your financial status, your education, all of the things of life that, that kind of distract us, so to speak. I urge us today to listen. Christ is knocking. He's at your door. I urge you to invite him in.
into your life, into your homes, into your families, into your marriages, into your workplace, into your schools. I, I invite you to let him in. I urge you to, to invite him in and let him in and sit at the table with you. If you don't have room in your life, I urge you to make room today. Make room for Christ. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray that your word would grip our hearts this morning. Lord, we're sorry for the things that we've made it. And Lord, we want to get back to the heart of worship. Lord, we want to get back to where we need to be. Lord, if we're like this lukewarm church, Heavenly Father, if we're like this lukewarm people and too caught up in our ways, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We ask for your grace and your mercy. Come in, Heavenly Father. Sit at the table with us. Dine with us. Transform our life in the name of Jesus. Right where you're at, I invite you to just examine your heart as the praise team sings this song. Examine your heart and pray to the Lord.